Okay, so why? Why? And, and maybe you've wondered this. Maybe you are those who have the gift of faith and you don't wonder at all. Uh, and you take God's actions without a thought. Uh, perhaps you have friends or family or classmates who question God when this happens, when things like this happen. Perhaps something in your heart questions. And maybe it's not something like this. Perhaps it's a trial in your own life. I just think of one of my dear cousins who's wrestling with her life right now. You know, my heart goes out to my, my dear little cousin. Um, and you wonder why? Why? Uh, the prime of life. Why does someone have to, have to face death? Perhaps a loss of a job. A disease. Uh, perhaps it's a flood in your apartment, a noisy neighbor, um, pressures, right? We all face pressures, and they can feel like earthquakes, though nothing to that magnitude, but they can be very difficult. So for centuries, people have asked, why? Why do these things happen? And we find Paul in chains the rest of the book of Acts. Why? This guy has given up everything for Jesus, and he's facing only trials. Why, Lord? Job, why? Well, I, I just want to take a moment with that. Why evil? And, and first of all, other worldviews, I would say, do not have a good answer to this. Other uh, mindsets, models, paradigms, ways to view the world, worldviews, do not have a better answer than Christianity does. Paganism gives no answer. Um, the idea that we're just random molecules needing to do the best so that we wear out the others and we survive because we're fitter, that does not give any answer to these difficult questions. In fact, that leads you to some very dark answers because you think I either have to be the fittest and I have to push myself over others, or I have to just give up, and who cares? Okay, And so both of those are fatalistic, or our history has filled itself with horrible conclusions to that. Uh, Eastern religions give no better answer. The idea that, okay, this is imaginary. Death, evil, sickness is just not part of reality. When we see things like this, when we feel hungry or when we have a disease, we, we say that cannot be true because I sure feel evil. I sure see it on the street every day. Others believe from an Eastern mindset that both evil and good are part of the all that is not necessarily a personal God, but a force. I don't like to go there either. That God would be also earthquake and also good. Others believe in a personal God that hates humanity. Using lightning bolts. Loving to see us squirm. That God is not good. Others believe in a personal God who can't quite control everything. Like earthquakes or disease. That God is not great. Or perhaps a God who winds a watch and he sets everything up and he just lets it go. That God may be good and great, but he's not with us. And so he doesn't care. 
Christianity finds a good God who is great and who is with us. So how do we have this evil? Right? All of those are really hard to, to carry in one sitting. So we, we do uh, spend some time with this. Again, this is something we've, we've handled in the past. Um, this is a, another resource our church puts out. And, and in fact, this past week, I did just republish this. Uh, do you misunderstand God? Critical questions for Christians. Okay. And so two of those chapters are devoted to the reliability of Scripture. Why do we believe the Bible? Two of them are devoted to this question. Why does evil happen? Because people do wonder. Okay. And, and in that, we develop these much more extensively. I'll just, I'll just go through them quickly today and really focus on the one that I, I feel like we need to, uh, that, that helps us with the events of this week. Number one and two, uh, Satan loves to kill, deceive, and destroy. Right? And, and so when we see destruction and deception and death, we should not think ultimately, okay, well, that, God is enjoying that. Now, that was, that is the, Satan is the author of that. Straight from the garden. Uh, deception in order to cause disease, in order to cause death. Satan started that whole thing. Okay? Secondly, sin is the death of us all. From that time period when we all chose to rebel against God's perfect plan... We have stepped outside of a perfect creation. We'll get to that in just a minute. That's where all this is headed, the story of redemption. But sin is the death of us all. It's just a matter of time. We're all born unto death. And after that, the judgment. Okay? And so that was not God's original creation. But since humanity pushed off God's original creation and chose to go with Satan, the author of sin, Destruction and death. All those who have followed in its wake have faced that. And so we feel that through original sin, uh, causing us all to die. And then also the wages of sin as far as what we reap is what we sow. And so if every day all I eat is Krispy Kreme donuts, I will eventually die. Right? And, and that's just because I'm reaping what I sow. Sin is the death of us all. Number three, uh, this is, a, is an important one. We grow. We grow through pain and evil. And this is just helpful to remember. The Bible talks about this a lot. And Job faced this. All of these are in Job. Job is a good, what's called a theodicy, an apologia for God and how um, God uses even evil and difficulty for good. So we, we grow, God uses actually difficult things. Not only Satan is the author of it, but God is able to take that cross and turn it into redemption. Take that fall into the garden and make it heaven, the house of God. And so we grow in trial. The, the brightest flowers of life are picked in the valleys when we're stumbling over our own feet. God is not the author of evil, but in his sovereignty, he is able to even allow these valleys to grow us. We gain Christ-likeness. We gain proven character. We gain patience. We gain perspective to comfort those who need to be comforted, and we gain closeness to God. 
right? It's the little lambs that he carries in the valley. And we're all little lambs. And we need our Lord to carry us. That's when we're closest to God. You would have to testify to that. Uh, It's when you're closest to God is when you're facing that difficulty. Okay? And so we do grow in trial and God allows these difficulties in our lives to draw us closer to him, to, to grow from them. Number four is one that actually the book of Job concludes with. This is the the main point of the whole book of Job is that God is great. And there are certain things that he does that we just can't understand because his ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. And so we just leave some of these things in his hand and say, Lord, I don't understand how you're working this all out for your good and your glory. And yet I do trust you. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. We are just learning about space, sea, and humanity. Right? And so God's ideas as he throws all that out there in a word is just so far beyond us. And number five, this is the beautiful thing. Evil is temporary. Right? This that Satan caused is just for a moment. If you were eternal, you would see as a blip on the screen. But for us, we we live in it every day, but it's all just a moment, a brief moment when God allows this. But for eternity, everything is going to be right and good. And so the beauty of Christianity is that the gospel is for creation as well. See, the gospel is everything. The gospel is both shallow and extremely deep, and it finds a place. It is the worldview for every Christian. It's the gospel, right? And so, yes, creation fell with Adam and Eve in the garden. And just as Adam and Eve died, creation died. Right, so my body is wearing out. I face uh, things that I didn't face when I was in my 20s. And then 20 years from now, I'm going to face other things if I live that long. I just, that's just part of life. You know what? The earth is the same way. And so when we see things like this, this is actually the verse that speaks to what we've seen this week. Uh, God said it from the beginning. When, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, not only did death come to humanity, death came to the earth, to all creation. And all creation, what does this verse say? All creation is doing what? Groaning. Anyone groan this week by something you're trying to get out of bed maybe? (laughs) Maybe bend down too fast, you groan. You know what? The earth is doing that. And look at the picture God gives of creation. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers The pains of childbirth. Jesus uses this to talk about earthquakes at the end of time. He says these are the beginning of what? Birth pains. You see that imagery there? Right? And so when a a lady is going through contractions, it's like, that's tight. I don't know. I don't know. I promise. I I know that I don't know. But, But ladies, you know it's intense, right? And then it's gone. And you're ready to... Sarah's ready to go shopping for a little bit longer. And then, and then that contraction comes back, and it's like, okay, we got to get there. And then it's gone. 
Well, well, this is a picture of, of the earth contractions. It's broken and it's eagerly anticipating. I'm broken. I need to be fixed. What is going to fix me? The gospel. Jesus will eternally be the fixer because he rose from the grave. He has put an end to death. And so the gospel is the solution to earthquakes as well. The gospel is the solution to headaches. The gospel is the solution to cancer. We fast forward just a little bit of time and all of those who embrace this gospel message will live in a pre-fallen condition where we will have eternal life forever and ever praising the Lord, but just enjoying the glory of life without sin and the consequences of sin. You read that in Revelation 21, 1-4. When I saw a new, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. He is good. He is great. And he wants to be with us. He loves us. And so he had to come and take upon himself all of our sin, all of our, in that sense, sicknesses. And he had to die in our place. He will be with his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will need no more death, mourning, or crying. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. I'll finish the the phrase there. It says, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's gone because of the gospel. And so it's, I'm not saying this makes it easy to see, but I'm saying that God is going to fix it all. And the Bible gives the solution to all of this. Um, and and he, he, for a moment of time, and it will get worse. It will get worse. This gives a, I don't want to, I mean, I keep going. We need to move on to Acts. But um, this helps us understand environmentalism. This helps us understand uh, being a nurse. This, this helps everything in life fits into the gospel. You just ask me what it is. I'll show you. It relates to the gospel. It's all about Jesus and him making all things new in your life as well. He's making you more like his son. Okay, we need to move on. Any thoughts or questions about that? I just thought it'd be good to have a a, a little family time about about the earthquake, mainly about that and the problem of, of that. No, that doesn't contradict. It's exactly what I just said. And Dominic actually just gave 50 minutes about how the Bible has shown all of these things that science is just now discovering the Bible has already said. But what, what, it's, what the Bible is saying, that this is part of the earth quaking and groaning and waiting and longing. It whispers in a minor key, longing for the redemption of its body in the new heaven and the new earth, just like you and I long for that. Pressure within the earth itself, but when it's an earthquake, it's completely 
right, so we can't fix that. It's just there's some brokenness there that God will fix eternally. Okay, any other thoughts before we move on? Okay. All right, well, maybe afterwards, if you have a question about that, please let me know. But it just helps us because people will ask you, and this isn't, I mean, it's not saying, oh, now I feel, I feel great about what's happened. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the, the Bible shows us that God is going to make all things new um, in bringing end to evil. But we face, we face these other things, don't we? You face the difficulty of, of uh, bills and uh, sickness and family issues. And, and so the evil we face is more like the evil that Paul is facing uh, as he deals with trials. And, and so really the, the message unfolds in front of us today um, it, and how that God uh, enables us, strengthens us in our trials. Um, he, he gives us uh, ability to think through those and actually thrive through those because we will all face trials. Uh, this week you'll face trials. And, and as Christians, we need to be emotionally mature physically mature, but spiritually mature, to handle them in faith uh, until we see him face to face. Okay, so there's going to be some principles here that we'll, we'll unpack from what Paul did as he faced trials, because uh, chapter 21 to 28 is one trial after the next. And that's, that's a play on words, because he actually goes to trial. Uh, he faces trial before these officials, um, and this official and this official, probably five different trials. But then there's other trials like shipwreck and snakes and, and all this other stuff too. He turns into Indiana Jones here. Uh, so let's look at, let's look at the, the witness in trials. Uh, I'll probably need to do one kind of follow-up uh, as like a Sunday school lesson that goes through all of Acts here. Because I'm going to skip that for the time being. Uh, the first, second, third missionary journey. We're actually on the fourth one here. 56 to 60 A.D. And the reason we're doing this is where we ended last week is when Paul wrote the letter of Romans. Okay, But if you'll look in your Bible at Romans chapter 1, you'll see this interesting theme that he keeps bringing up. Romans chapter 1 verse 10, he says, Always in my prayers, I'm asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I was like, I want to go to Rome. I'm writing this letter to you. But I want to go to Rome. Verse 13 of chapter 1. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. I have often intended to come to you, but, this far I, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's like, I want to come to Rome. We end Acts with him in Rome. Okay, So he does make it. But just helpful to look at these chapters to find out what's going on in his life as he writes the letter before he gets there. And we'll probably finish Acts when we're done studying the letter of Romans together uh, here in a, in a few months uh, as we look uh, verse by verse through the book of, of Romans. Okay, so he's trying to get to Rome, but he's facing trials all along the way. And this is the fascinating thing, that God actually uses his trials for good. How are you... If you were wanting to go, let's say I would really love this week to go visit the Piris in Zambia and just connect with them and be a blessing to them, what would be the big drawback for me getting there? What's one thing? Money. Yeah. 
yeah, also, and how am I going to get four days? But, but money's the big thing. Uh, how's Paul going to get to Rome? He needs money. And what's going to happen is God's going to use his trials to go to Rome on the government's dime. And this is what God does. God works all things together for good. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm just going to rush through these, and, uh, and we'll get to where we are for today. Okay. Second missionary journey, third missionary journey, and then the fourth one is entirely in uh, prison. Prison to Rome. Notice that Paul wrote these letters, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians, uh, during this time period when he's facing all of these trials, uh, and they have been such a blessing to us. Um, but the chapters from Acts 21 to 28 really follow the chapters of the, the book of Acts. Let's see if you guys can... Ah, it's already in front of you. Can you remember the outline of Acts? Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses, first of all, in Jerusalem, Judea, and then in Samaria, and then the other most part of the earth. What's really fascinating is this is Paul's trials, too. He first has trials in Jerusalem, Judea, and he has trials in Samaria, and then he has trials to the uttermost part of the earth. Uh, and so those are the three points there in front of you, uh, though we'll just take a, a few minutes probably with the first one here, okay? Let's look at the first one. Uh, set apart to trials. Maybe you say, that's me, that's my life. Well, let's look at how Paul uh, uses the trials and God uses the trials in his life for good. Uh, trials in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, you have this warning in Jerusalem uh, from all of these folks. They're saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. In fact, Acts 21.11 if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 21.11. This one prophet, Agabus, he, he makes a scene taking a belt from Paul. And uh, coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands. Uh, this is an interesting scene in the middle of church service. We don't see this happen very often, uh, but this is what's happening. They don't have scripture yet. And so God is actually speaking his word. Uh, that which was to come had not yet come, uh, that which was perfect. And so there were the, the, the gift of prophecy was still being used in that sense to give divine revelation. And so Agabus is doing this. He says, thus says the Holy Spirit, Acts 21.11, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. All right, this grave pronouncement. All right, what are you going to do with that? Nobody wants to go and be bound, go to prison. Well, I, I love that Paul is like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm ready. Um, now, it's interesting that they warn him not to go. And, and so there's a little bit of a debate here. Uh, I don't know if you guys did the questions. I tried to do some questions before we look at the text. But there, there's a little debate here because Christians in his church are telling him, Paul, right, the Spirit is telling us that you're going to be bound and imprisoned. Don't go to Jerusalem. What does he say? 
I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't care what you say. Is he being stubborn? Some people say he's just being stubborn. Uh, but later on, he says, the Holy Spirit told me to go. All right, so that's the answer to that question. Um, so, you know, they're warning him, they're warning him. Look at verse 13 and 14 of chapter 21. Paul said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready to not only be bound, but to die. I'm ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, they fell silent and said, well, the Lord's will be done. Paul is looking at his trials with the right perspective. And so you see the first principle of a Christian dealing with the trials correctly is acceptance. Right? Trials are part of God's plan uh, as we grow in Christ-likeness, so we accept them as from him. Uh, it's the, one of the most important steps. Not saying that we, uh, f- like a fatalistic thing of, well, there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm not going to take care of my responsibilities. That's not what we're talking about. But as you are doing what God wants, as you're following his will, and you face difficulty, as you face trials in life, you recognize none of this was a surprise to God. God knew what was happening when I lost my job. God knew what was happening when I lost my health. God knew what was happening when I lost my security. What are you going to do? Are you going to give up? And you accept this. Okay? You accept that a good, great, sovereign God allowed this in my life. And so you're suffering there in prison like Joseph. You've just been betrayed by your brothers. You've just been betrayed by the spouse of your boss. And now you're betrayed by your own fellow prisoners that you're helping. And you're sit there, rot there for years. What are you going to do? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I don't know why, but God meant it for good. And so we have that Genesis 50-20 perspective. Even the difficult things that we go through, we recognize this is not out of God's hand. Okay, And so God uses that trial. Now he actually goes into Jerusalem and we find the trial. Phase 1, there's this public trial in Acts 21. Phase 2, there's a private trial before the Sanhedrin in chapter 23 of Acts. So this public trial, it's quite a scene. Look at Acts chapter 21, verse 27. Acts 21, there's just, there, there are several verses, so it's better to, to look in your Bible. Uh, Acts 21, verse 27, when the seven days were almost ended, Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob. So Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem. He stays for a week. People come who have caused trouble for him all along the way. And they see him in the temple and they rouse a mob against him. They grab him, yelling, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches against our people. He tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple. He defiles it by bringing these Gentiles in. For earlier in the day, they had seen Trophimus, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, Paul hadn't, but they just saw, oh, there's that guy from Ephesus. Paul spent years there. Verse 31 of Acts 21, as they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And so, exactly what was prophesied happens. They're ready to bloody Paul. He probably has at least a bloody nose right now. 
Uh, they're grabbing him. They're dragging him. Um, and the, the Roman officials have to come in and calm everyone down. What does Paul do? What would you do? You know, I would say, okay, I'm rescued. Let me get out of here. I, I shared what I could. No. He's like, everybody's listening to me now. The Romans and the Jewish people. I'm going to preach. This is Acts. Paul just uses any opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus. He does not waste his trial. And so he speaks to the, the, the official in Greek. And the guy says, well, he speaks Greek. Well, let me listen to him. Here's, he knows the, the trade language of the day. He's not just a Jewish rabbi. And so Paul uses his education. He uses his experience to actually bring the gospel and he starts sharing the gospel with everyone there. And so we see our second primary principle of trials. First of all, accept it as from God. And secondly, in your trial, turn your trial into a blessing. Utilize your trials for God's glory. Don't waste your trials moping away your life. I'm in prison, tied to a jailer in Philippi. What am I going to do? Mope my trial away. No, I'm going to sing praises to God and witness to him. Again, preaching the gospel in prison. Whether Paul's in front of Festus and Felix and King Agrippa later on in the Acts, or he's sitting chained to a prisoner, he's going to preach the gospel. Turn your trial into a blessing today. One of my friends in his 30s, we were both pastors of this, we were the same age and situation here in the city and and um but he had cancer and uh, had to go through that as a young man with young children i love his perspective on that um, wrote an article don't waste your cancer um, giving him a greater perspective on life and eternal life and the need to devote himself to the lord many of you know christian author and artist joni erickson tata while 17, in a diving accident, she was left paralyzed from the neck down in a wheelchair. But the beautiful writings, uh, the wheelchair has become a pulpit uh, for her painting uh, and her writings. She says, people can collapse under trials. They can give up. And so God makes a point of telling his people not to cave in. Keep persevering. When you're struggling, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Friend, nothing can touch your life unless first it's been filtered through the fingers of your loving God. It's a test of faith to believe that God has your best interest at heart. Just consider the reward, a crown of life reserved for you if you stand the test. So don't collapse under your trials today. Don't give in. Don't give, cave in. God promises you a crown of life. Blessings for all eternity. That trial is for a moment. Um, the, the eternal life, the crown of life that is forever will never fade away. And so we trust God to turn our trial into a blessing. We say, Lord, I don't know why I'm still under this pressure, under that pressure, but I trust you. Give me grace to see your hand in it and not waste my cancer, not waste my joblessness or whatever the pressure is in your life. 
For Paul, it's always preaching. He's not going to waste his chains and he's going to use those to take this mob and preach the gospel. And they're infuriated. They're going to tear him apart. And so they take him away. The mob infuriated. Chapter 22. Away with such a fellow. Kill him. He isn't fit to leave. They throw their coats. They toss hands full of dust into the air. What a mess. And so the soldiers have to take charge. All right, we'll just, we'll just finish this one point. We'll be done for today. Um, phase two is the public trial. Again, Paul does the same thing. He uses this as an opportunity to preach the gospel. The Sanhedrin would be similar to our Senate. Very powerful for that religious body. Uh, they are really the movers and shakers of that day in Jerusalem. And so, Paul is wily. Chapter 23 you have your Bible, chapter 23, verses 6 through 8, perceiving that one group were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, he's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pit these against each other. Because one of them believed in a resurrection, the other one didn't. And so he said, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. It'd be just like if you were in Albany and you're called to speak on something and you said, I am a Democrat. And I am like, and so you have the Republicans and the Democrats that are going to start fighting. Who is this guy? Right? And you throw out one of your main platforms. And that's what Paul does. This was very political. He's like, I am a Pharisee. He just wanted to cause our, to rouse them up to share. And that great dissension was developing. Chapter 23, verse 10. The commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces. And so he has to order troops again to take him out of the Senate because they're tearing him this way and that way. Well, here will be our final principle for today. Principle three comes from, if you have your Bibles, look at Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you are going to Rome. And so God himself promises that Paul's desire to preach to those that he wrote this letter to, he's headed there and he just needs the Sanhedrin and Caesar to pay for it. And so we need to recognize during our trial, thirdly, that God's protecting presence is with us. Um, that, that he is with you in the pain, in the trial. Um, nothing can harm you beyond what God allows we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who is tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so let me encourage you today, if you are in the lion's den, if you are in the fire with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Recognize that Jesus is the fourth one in the fire with you. Uh, and he can empathize. He is someone that you can speak to personally. He is not just a deist God somewhere out there. He is in this room. And he brought you to this room for me to point you to him. He is the glorious one. He is the one that loves you, that died for you, and longs to have a relationship, daily relationship with you. So the psalmist, you can say, In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me. 
It's in the rocky spots that the shepherd carries the lamb. If you're in a rocky spot today, let me encourage you to turn to the lamb of God uh, with all those trials. It's amazing as the story unfolds. Maybe you can read it. Um, well, maybe we'll, I don't know what we'll do next week uh, if we'll finish this or get right into Romans. But he, he uses a little boy to protect him, a little boy hearing a whisper. He uses a Roman edict to protect him. Right? God can use the great and the, the small to protect his, his saints. Uh, he has you. He has you in his hand. Let's pray. In this closing quiet, I'll be standing in the back and be happy to pray with you. But I would just encourage all of you to turn to God. Whatever it is that is your trial, um, it may be, feel like an earthquake in your life. And um, we've learned three of the five very important principles in dealing with trials. Uh, acceptance. Recognize that God can do great things through it. Right? So ask him for strength to turn that trial to a blessing. And then thirdly, recognize that he's there with you. He's there with you. And he wants to talk to you about that. So we'll just take a moment to...